Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Age Institute colleague Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're going left to right and talking about why the traditional political spectrum that we all learned in high school is wrong. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Good. I, I here's one thing I quickly learned this week that your your experience on an airplane is now directly proportional to how mask friendly or aphobic uh, the your, your flight attendants are. Right. Because on, on one on one flight, you know, and this is the spectrum, right? So the 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 flight attendants were like, okay, if you want to take if you want to take a drink, you know, you got to you know put put the mask down, take a sip, and then you got to cover back when you put the drink down on your tray. That was the process that they were they were working with um the other the other flat flight was more like if you have a drink in your hand you know especially if it's alcoholic it's pretty clear that when you breathe over an alcoholic beverage it kills the, the rona so as long as you're holding the drink in your hand you can keep the chin diaper going at any one time and so th- when they brought me my wine in first class and it was a it was a it was a, the, the, the thing they usually put it, the, water the water in, in. Uh-huh. right <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be, so it was, it was been the better part of my flight with, uh, un, unable to do that. You know, the, the circulation in the planes though, is, in, is just incredible. It is. They say so, it's one of the safest places to be. I it mean, it's is probably be- better than being indoor with air conditioning. Absolutely. Bar absolutely. It certainly is. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, we can, and I guess we can thank the smokers for that from back in the day. You know, they, they built all those filtration systems in because of the smoking non-smoking thing and you know for the yeah, most part this prop, yeah, just got left there the, that and the yeah. altitude that they have to fly yeah. in yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah no, that, that's uh, wild yeah what does jonah call it mask philia mask phobia so, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's wild um well ed this is this is a, i don't know I, I landed on this topic because i think lawrence reed had an article in fee and I was so impressed with just how concise and cogent it all was, but it linked to another older article he had written that I went and read. And that's, I think, after I read this, I told you, I said, I think we could do a show on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hence, mm-hmm. here we are. But the traditional political spectrum, and I remember learning this in high school, reading about a spectrum from left to right. You've got, it goes communism on the far left. And then usually it puts socialism. And then as you move to the right, you know, it's got capitalism. And then on the far right, the polar opposite of communism is fascism. Right? Um, I think I think it was Abby Hoffman who who said that Ronald Reagan was the fascist gun in the West. Mm. Uh, you know, so there's always been that link to fascists or, or fascists or white right wing. And this is kind of insane when you think about it. Why should socialists, communists, and fascists be depicted as virtual opposites when they share so much in common, right? It would be like having 
a, a political spectrum that read big state, uh, you know, small individuals, uh, uh, big state on both ends, right? Where, where you had maybe, you know, um, small state in the middle or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense because those two ends, and, two ends of the spectrum have so much in common. Well, and part of it is because, first of all, are we talking about a political spectrum or are we talking about economic systems? We're talking about it is a political spectrum. I mean, capitalism right. is an economic system. It's not a political system, right? Because it, it can Correct. exist in Singapore, can it, it, <laughs> China, right? The, the yes. ultimate paradox. Um, right. So we are talking more about the political spectrum for sure. But it's hard to disentangle some of the economics from that. Some of them, because it, it really does have to do ultimately with economic freedom and individual freedom. And that's the, the two ways that I look at it is it are, if it, what we're looking for is a, both a high degree of individual freedom and economic freedom. And those things are, are, are tied together to a certain extent. Right. Right. I mean, I look at this the way this has been taught and, you know, you think about, well, that puts Lenin and Stalin on the left side and it puts Hitler and Mussolini on the far right side. But all four of those people had they, they were peas in a pod. They had way more in common than differences. And and so I, I think it's um, a better spectrum to say something like, you know, total government on one end and no government on the other. That, that would make, you know, a lot more sense. Well, we'll get back to this. And I think the best way to think about it is not as a spectrum at all, but it's, there's, there's actually two, there's, there's two, there's two, two degrees and, and we'll get back to that. But just to, to your point about the commonalities and look, if you say this and to, to most people, when you say, Hey, communists and, and fascists have a lot in common, they're like, nah, that's completely false. There's no such that, 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 that well, let me just read from you from some of the, the contents of the fascist manifesto, which was published in June 6, 1919. Of course, Mussolini was a part of this. And by the way, fascism and, and Nazism are different too. Absolutely. So, and, so the, it, yeah. Yeah. And fascism existed long before Hitler and the Holocaust. Yes. It, that's it correct. has nothing to do with anti Semitism. Stalin no. was also a sem anti Semite. Right? Correct. He just yes. didn't do what Hitler did, although he mm -hmm. did it to his own people. So, <laughs> yes. But, yeah. So, so, but politically, here's what what the manifesto called for: universal suffrage with a voting age of 18. That's you know, proportional representation on a regional basis, voting voting rights for women, representation at government of newly created council of economic sector. So they what they wanted was. The, the again here's where it starts to introduce the the economic piece that government had to be would would create these national councils by economic sector in order to really cartelize the economy they want to get rid of the italian senate which was the last of the aristocracy and then they wanted a formation of the national council of experts for labor industry transportation health uh, communications sounds sounds very similar right here's another couple things just quickly 8 hour workday minimum wage to show confidence that the labor unions uh, or, or to or to uh, you know full full thing for labor unions were part of this reduction in the retirement age from 65 to 55 which i thought is very interesting and this is interesting a a, a progressive tax on capital including the seizure of all possessions uh, or or of all all um profits on military contracts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So exactly where is this free market capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this on the right side? What's this have to do with limited government? <laughs> right. <laughs> Clearly in no way was this limited. Well, you know, I love that because uh, if, if, if you think about the way the spectrum should be taught, it should go communism on the far left, then socialism, then fascism, then say like something like mixed economy and then... Mm -hmm capitalism on the opposite side when you present it that way and like you were saying about when you say this what what objections people throw at you one of them is well communism and fascism can't be close together because communists and fascists fought each other bitterly right hitler attacked stalin for crying out loud well that's like saying al capone and bugs moran hated and fought each other so they can't both be considered gangsters Right. We're good. <laughs> right. not part of the mafia. Right. I, yeah. It, it, both systems had low regard for human life. So why would you expect them to play nice with each other, especially when they're trying to go after territory or influence on the world stage? I mean, thieves are still thieves, even if they steal from one another. So that objection <laughs> doesn't hold up. Another objection is, well, under communism, Karl Marx defined it as government withers away. So it cannot be closely aligned with, you know, socialism because socialism involves a lot of government. But Marx's conception of government withering away was purely hypothetical. I mean, he never explained it. It's kind of lunacy if you think about it. The idea that any, any despot in power is going to walk away from it, right, and give up and, and just walk away, kind of like what George Washington did. Um, it, it, show me the example. Mm -hmm. Cuba, North Korea? I don't think so. Right. And the third objection people throw at you is communism and fascism are radically different because in focus, one is internationalist and the other is nationalist, as in Hitler's national socialism, right? And the, you know, and <laughs> Lawrence Reed's got a great response to this. He says, big deal. <laughs> he said, chocolate and vanilla are two different flavors of ice cream, but they're both ice cream. He said, was it any consolation to the French or the Norwegians or the Poles that Hitler was a national socialist instead of an internationalist socialist? <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, these two, um, uh, the, these two systems are the same. They're they're both uh, on the left. They're both totalitarian systems, with no Correct. regard for into the for the individual. And that and that's really the key is uh, there no regard for private property, no regard for the for the individual per se. And yeah, to, to an, a certain extent, there's the, the the criticism is is valid to say, well, yes. Um, Joe Stalin would have been perfectly happy if communism was exported to different countries and they kept their own language and the it was there was a Chinese form of communism and an American form of communism and a a Latin American form of communism that that would have Joe would have been totally fine with that. Hitler wanted socialism too, but he wanted everybody to speak German. Or right. if you didn't speak German or weren't German, we were going to kill you. And even worse, what we we're probably going to do is just eliminate you, and then we were going to export Germans to where you were living. So yes, there there, there was there was clearly uh, two different thought processes going on behind it. But the underlying narrative is still you the, the individuals exist for the benefit of the state. Right. In fact, in a February twenty fourth, nineteen twenty speech that Hitler gave, he said, the common good before the individual good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't sound like something a right winger would say. 
Well, yeah. Which right wingers are you talking about now? Because you know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of, uh, of newer Republicans who are who are thinking, yeah, we, we have to exist for the for the process of the state. Adrian Vermeule and his some of his thoughts on this stuff are pretty quite scary, actually. Yeah, they are. Uh, unfortunately, well, yes, and I and I understand that. I just don't I don't consider them in the realm of of real conservative intellectuals. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but and, I know they're but, out there, and they are. A problem. Yeah, no, they're out there, and and look, there's there's a lot of just nationalists, nationalistic thinking in general has taken place. I think to a certain extent, the the border wall is a function of that. To a certain extent, not completely. Sure. I I think that there, there there's different thinking on that. There's no there's nothing's monocausal, but I think that to a certain extent that the 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 the, the rationale for the wall was was nationalistic in in, in nature. Yeah. Immig yeah. Immigration's always been a contentious issue, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. shut it down in mm -hmm. the twenties, um, completely for 40 something years. So, but yeah, I, I totally get that. I, I think a, an, in another interesting twist Ed, is this infatuation with Hungary, um, on some among the right, um, which I, I just don't understand it. I'm sorry. I, I just think this is such a waste of time. It's, well, it's explain like, that a little bit because I'm I'm only coming up to speed on it, so I'm sure most of our uh, listeners are like, "What the hell are you but, talking about?" So just put, give it the ninety I, seconds. Well, I will, but let's let's put that off for a while until we clean okay. up this issue. But uh, yes, I, I do want to talk to that and get some of your reactions to Hungary because I, I just I just think this is a colossal waste of time and it probably puts Agreed. me, you know, um, well I, I know it doesn't put me in the minority because the conservative intellectuals I follow also can't figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. but the more populous ones, of course, uh, I mean, Tucker Carlson did a show from Hungary for a week or something. He was over there. Um, anyway, um, we're up against our first break and folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe and become a member at patreon.com slash TSOE. And at a certain tier, you can even get a shout on them, a shout out on the show like Geraldine Carter did. Check out Geraldine Carter at SheThinksBigCoaching.com and check out her podcast, Smart Strategy for CPAs. And now a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. 
for a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're talking about the political spectrum and why what we're all taught in school is wrong and and ed you know mussolini's got that that famous line all within the state nothing outside the state nothing against the state right we've all seen that but Mm -hmm. hitler in a 1931 interview with journalist richard breitling said the core program of his party the nazi party was to put it quite clearly the nationalization of all public companies in another in other words socialization or what is known here as socialism is the principle of authority the good of the community takes priority over that of the individual but the state should retain control. Every owner should feel himself to be an agent of the state. It is his duty not to misuse his possessions to the detriment of the state or the interests of his fellow countrymen. That is the overriding point. The Third Reich will always retain the right to control property owners. Why own the farm when you can own the farmer? Mm-hmm. This is from exactly Hitler correct. himself, you know, and, and Mussolini then said in a uh, speech from 1919, this is what we propose now to the treasury. Either the property owners expropriate themselves or we summon the masses of war veterans to march against these obstacles and overthrow them. These two, these two guys sound like two peas in a pod to me. Absolutely. With, without question, they are. And, uh, one thing I just want to be completely clear on for those of the, the casual listener, uh, in no way are Ron and I endorsing any of these ideas. We think they're all really bad ideas. <laughs> really, really bad. We're quoting Mussolini and Hitler to demonstrate that, well, to a certain extent, the evilness of it, but also, bizarrely enough, how, what, how common what how, the, how common it is to some concepts that are around today, including industrial policy that's that's the 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 phrase that's used today we need industrial policy ron and whenever i hear that it scares the crap out of me yep and you're hearing it more and more i'm hearing it Mm -hmm. more and more every other podcast i listen to is somebody pushing for why government needs to do this and this and this and this and take over industrial policy and effectively create cartels within within different the different industrial sectors like, how is this going to promote creativity? And the answer is, of course, it's not. Um, but you, but you've set me up, Ron, to talk about one of my all-time favorite books. I, in fact, I think going back, it was one of my best books. I don't know, three or four years ago, I forget exactly when when I read it. And it's it's called The Vampire Economy by a guy by the name of Gunter Reitman. Now, Gunter Reitman is a pen name. His real name was Hans Stein Steinecke, um, and he yep and. Now this is an interesting guy. He was he was a German-born economist, and without question, a communist. I mean, he was a member of the Communist Party in Germany before World War II, and in fact, went underground 
when Hitler came to power in 1933. He finally got out of Germany in 1939, and then that's when he published in London The Vampire Economy, subtitled as Doing Business Under Fascism. But you know, and just lest lest you you know, he he continues his his uh, Marxist and communist bona fides once he gets here to the United States. In fact, one of his grandchildren is uh, Melina Abdullah, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Hmm. Right. So the, so this the, 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 he in other words, he's got the 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 chops to to be. Nobody's talking about coming in from a communist point of view, right? And that's where this book is written from. But he talks about what's happening in in under national so- socialism, and I just want to tell you this one story because they they had wage and price controls. The the industrials could not could not create uh, anything new without uh, ch- changing the or they couldn't change prices. They couldn't pay with their, their laborers what they wanted to do, and it went all the way on down to the peasants. So this is uh, out of the book now. I'm now quoting. A peasant was arrested and put to trial for having repeatedly sold his old dog together with a pig. When a private buyer of pigs came to him, a sale was staged according to the official rules. The buyer would ask the peasant, how much is the pig? And he would answer, I cannot ask you more than the official price, but how much will you pay me for my dog, which I also want to sell? So the peasant w- uh, uh, and, and buyer of the pig would no longer discuss the price of the pig, but only the price of the dog. And when they came to an understanding about the price of the pig and the dog together, once that agreement was reached, the, the buyer got the got the pig as well. And then he would re- the, re- the buyer would release the dog who would do what? Go running back to the owner. <laughs> so they had to create this, this quasi-price system underneath this the, the the layer of what was really going on, including prices on top and on the bottom of bread, and pe- people knew that they had to actually check the bottom of the bread for the actual price because the top price had to be what the official price was. So once again, it was about interference with the price system in the name of we have to keep bread cheap for the peasants, so we have to keep cheap, cheap for for the laborers, and. Who doesn't matter who does it, whether it's communists, fascists, uh, uh, neo-fascists, socialists, Republicans, Democrats. Once you start messing with the price system, all hell breaks loose extraordinarily quickly. Yep, so true. That's excellent. Does that book get into? As I haven't read it yet, it's in my anti-library. But does that mm-hmm. book get into the labor allocation? Because I know, like in the communist system, you know, they the state told you where you worked and your job and all of that. But I think there was some of that under Nazism too, right? I mean, they you were free, well, this... you were more free to pick a, a, like an occupation or a job, but you could still be appointed to a particular job, couldn't you? Yes, absolutely. And, and and often what happened was is they, they really what they would do is they would enlist you in the army and then you were you were brought as part of the army to a particular factory where you were told you need to work this factory. Right. So it was under the guise of, of the military rule. And and that, look, that started everybody says, well, the, the war economy, wartime economy in Germany didn't really get rolling until 1938, 39 with with the invasion of Poland. Not true. It, from as far back as 1933, um, after the, the Reichstag fire. That that's when they started to go all in on taking the overall overarching takeover of the economy. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's wild. Um, you know, the other really uh, book I'd highly recommend to our listeners that want to study the antecedents of these ideas. And that's really what we're mm-hmm. trying to do here uh, is Jonah Goldberg's 
liberal fascism, which was published in 2008. I actually read it in Madrid, Spain, Ed, when mm -hmm. I was on the trip. Uh, and all I could keep thinking about was what was uh, Franco, you know, the the SNL mm -hmm. joke for years. You know, he's still alive. He's still alive. Every weekend update, they would say, mm -hmm. Frank, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, Jonah's definition in there of fascism, and I kind of like this, is it's a religion of the state. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes. And he basically you know, lays out the, the historical roots of this. And he says, progressivism is a descendant and a manifestation of fascism. It's not a phenomenon, the right at all, but the left, um, George or Orwell, he cites in the 40 in his 46 essay politics in the English language, the word fascism Orwell wrote has now no meaning except insofar as it signifies something not desirable. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to me when you read the history as he lays it out and others have laid it out as well of how many people in this country even admired um not hitler but mussolini mm -hmm. will rogers of all people went over to italy had a meeting with el duce and he came back and he said i'm pretty high on that bird <laughs> will rogers yeah he was the ultimate cynic yeah this is back the you know the the progressive days when 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 the rule of experts could do no wrong. That's what that's what it was. It was not necessarily just about politicians, but about expertise. And of course, the the ultimate expert slash politician would have been Woodrow Wilson, who who was who thought it was was both right. He was an expert politician, but he also saw himself as the the smartest person in the room always. Right, and and looking back through. Uh... Jonah's book, it was really interesting. He, you know, he points out that Mussolini, I have to say Mussolini was a really smart guy. He was very cultured. He was, he, he wrote, he read, mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he was a journalist. He, he was a, yep. And he's an author. Uh, and uh, he much smarter than Hitler. He didn't like Hitler personally, although he did kind of suck up to him, but he didn't like him personally. Um, he, and, and Hitler in his book, Mein Kampf, he only used the word fascism like twice or something. It rarely appears in the mm -hmm. book, but he does say the movement over 200 times, the movement capitalized. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that Jonah uses that to point out that that doesn't imply a fixed destination, right? That's basically telling you that any change is better. It's a cult of action. You know, we got to get the trains to, we got to do stuff. We got to get the trains to run on dime. It's, it's movement. Mm -hmm. It's never, you know, stepping back and saying, well, why does that fence exist? Mm -hmm. <laughs> why do, you know, the Chesterton fence uh, metaphor? Yeah, love that Chesterton. We probably should explain that because I, I, we probably talked about it on here. But the Chesterton fence is, is a f wonderful metaphor that basically says if you buy a piece of property and you come across this fence that seems to have absolutely no purpose, it's in the middle of the woods, let's say, and you, you say, well, I guess I just take down the fence. It is it is the, the more wise choice is to find out what the reason for the original fence was before doing anything to destroy the fence. So you have to go through the process of understanding what its purpose was before eliminating it. And I think that's a, a really good way to think about stuff. Yeah, it is. And the, and the other thing, and this needs to be brought up too, is that, you know, Hitler read Marx, but he didn't, he didn't like Marxism. And he thought, because he thought Marx was the architect of a Jewish plot. 
So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was it, it, it wasn't it wasn't so much the uh, idea of the state control that he was against. He just didn't like Marx because, you know, Marx was obviously Jewish. Right. And it should be said that the ultimately what what both of these are was about totalitarianism uh, because we keep using this term like well for the state for the state for the state but ultimately it became it was about for hitler or for mussolini so they put themselves as the middle of that state uh the fuhrer and il duce the the, these leaders so it it did become cultish of personality as well well the same thing with stalin right right so. Well, Ed, wow, we're uh, we're running up against our next break. You want to take us out? Sure. want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, the show notes available on The Soul of Enterprise, as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do now have some a, a nice new archive page where you can see the previous episodes and search on them as well. Also... Now topics by, or, or I should say category topics, so you can go in and see all of the shows that we've ever done on, let's say, subscription pricing, if you want to look at those or listen to those. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise. I want to remind you that we also have a Patreon channel available, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can go and listen to not only our regular shows without commercial interruption, but also our bonus episodes, which we do at the conclusion of our regularly scheduled show. I uh, wanted to bring up a cu- couple of things. First, uh, thanks out, a shout out to uh, at John the Lawyer, who's been tweeting along with us during this the show, and he brings up 
a uh, th- this an, an organization called politicalcompass.org. I'm going to actually in the last segment talk about a, a the the world's smallest political quiz, which I think is perhaps another way of looking um, at this as well. But Ron, before we get into to those concepts, I just want to jump back just because you know, we you and I talk so much about pricing and how important it is. Here's some quotes around the 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 word well, the pricing it, from the vampire economy. So again, quoting from the book, there were a number of official definitions definitions of the justified price. At first, the definition was a price that should be reasonable. Then it should represent the cost of production plus a reasonable profit. But there was no effective control over the production costs of what might constitute a reasonable profit. That remained a mystery. A new definition had to be found. The price must be justified from the point of view of the national economy. Don't you love that? I mean, th- that conflates so many things, but just, I mean, the cost plus, right? Plus mm-hmm. reasonable price. Costs are prices too. Costs convey just as much information in the inputs as they do in the outputs. Mm-hmm. What's amazing to the, me of this though, is, is it, this is, this was, this book was written in 1939. Mm. We're, we're coming up on 80 years or it's a, actually a little bit more than 80, 80 years. And, this idea of this, well, you know, that's not a just price. Apple's prices are unjust. That's too high. It's too high to price. Well, but says who? Who is, uh, the, the, does, the, does every price need to be justified from a national economy point of view? Are we, are we going back to this? Do we think that this is the best mechanism for this? That some bureaucrat in Berlin or, or Rome or Washington, D.C. can decide what the right price is? And, and this is exactly what we have in the medical industry. Most people don't realize. We've talked about this on all of the shows that we've done previously with regard to medicine, that so many of the insurance companies base their prices on the Medicare price. And so it, it all, so there is, in a sense, this guidepost, at least, of a national pricing system for something that's completely absurd, that what that that this procedure should cost the same in New York City as it does in Peoria. That, that it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, and Ed, I hate to bring this up, but isn't that kind of what stakeholder theory is? Trying to reconcile to a national uh, a price that's good for the you know the national economy? No, the price system works out those conflicts in stakeholder capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. The customers want a lower price, the suppliers want a higher price, the laborers want a higher price. How do we work out those conflicts? Those are grave conflicts. The price system does it. Does it? Usually without bloodshed. That's what scares me about stakeholder capitalism replacing, you know, shareholder or profit maximization. Uh, and I just read a great book on this called uh, Total Profit by Herman Simon. He's one of the Professional Pricing Society uh, faculty members and, you know, Kucher partners. And I think they're out of Germany. They're worldwide, actually. But mm-hmm. um, his, his book was kind of explaining profit and and all the mm-hmm. all the elements around it and how important it is you know no business ever went broke by by uh, turning a profit and it mm-hmm. for as much as it's degraded and as much as it's a controversial topic he's got all these polls about attitudes towards it and all of that it's it's still essential it can't be the purpose we all agree with that it can't be the overriding purpose but you still need those what is it the red blood cells <laughs> Mm-hmm. If your yeah. body doesn't make them, you're not going to stay alive. 
Right. It, it, it's not the purpose, it's the, but it is the result. the result. It has to be the result. And it, it, and it's also, it, 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 it is how resources ultimately get allocated. We, 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 otherwise, we're going in blind yep. without that allocation. How would you know what people valued and how would you know what the most uh, valuable uh, need was at a particular time? Yeah, you know, Jonah's got a great way to sum this up. He said the battle between Nazis and the communists was a case of two dogs fighting for the same bone. <laughs> uh, Sounds that was, about right. Thought that was uh, pretty much sums it all up. But um, yeah, um, wow. And anything else from that book that you want to bring up? That is just just that I really recommend. Can't recommend it enough. It's it's it's, it's it, there are some times where he gets into some nuts and bolts and, and accounting back and forth. Where you can just skip those chapters because it's it's just just numbers. But uh, the, he really does a nice job setting the the, the whole thing up. Um, and uh, similar to you, he's got the the quote here from from uh, Mussolini, not Hitler this time. The state is everything. The individual nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and it's fascinating how many of like FDR's brain trust even pointed to Mussolini and what he was doing there. In fact, you know, FDR wrote a book called Looking Forward and Mussolini wrote a review of it. And in there he said, this guy's one of us. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that FDR was a fascist, mm -hmm. but they certainly, you know, programs like, for instance, the National Recovery Administration you know, with its Blue Eagle. Remember the, you know, Blue mm -hmm. Eagle? You can go on YouTube and see videos of this. Um, it just, you know, that was a horrific program. Not just because yeah. it was unconstitutional, but it was, what, like you said, it was messing with the price system in a big way, trying to cartelize it, every industry. And it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> it, it, didn't, it didn't end the depression. That's, that, that's maybe the next controversy we take on with the falsehood of history, which is that, that uh, you know, that, 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 the New Deal or World War II ended the Great Depression. Yeah, both of those bug. The, the, the idea that the war, World War II, got us out of the Great Depression, I think that's more disturbing to me because mm -hmm. this shows all about you know, intellectual capital, right? The knowledge economy. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell me that you have a prosperous uh, economy when you're killing off your human capital. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm no. sorry. That's no way. That's no ticket to prosperity for any nation to have yeah, wars. It's completely. It's 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 the broken window fallacy on steroids. Oh, writ large, it's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 And I didn't know this, Ed, but the Philadelphia Eagles were named in honor of the Blue Eagle. <laughs> that I did, I did not, not know. I did not know that. Hmm. They're green though now. We're silver, so true. True. They've at I least guess. moved away from that. But but the name. Now I don't know if I don't know. Has their logo ever been blue? Their eagle. Oh, I don't know. I, no. I don't know either. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, I you, you know this uh, this article by Lawrence Reed highly highly recommended. I know uh, Greg has probably already tweeted it out, but it's it's called the only spectrum that makes sense, and it's by Lawrence W. Reed. That's with two e's and a d. Um, it's just excellent. He just goes through this point by point by point and, and, uh, gives you some quotes from Hitler and Mussolini saying, look, don't take my word for it. Listen to these guys. Mm -hmm. They kind of sound the same to me. And just, you know, ever since, um, uh, you know, you, when you, when you move to the right, whenever, whenever that happens, 
you know, whenever your transformation was from wherever you were to libertarian or wherever I was to conservative, you, you deal with this charge of, well, you're a crypto fascist. Well, you know what? Now I kind of understand why Buckley slugged or, or threatened to slug Gore Vidal, you know, mm -hmm. during the uh, what they, they were covering. Wasn't it a political convention or something? I forget which one, uh, but it was on TV. And mm -hmm. um, Vidal called called Buckley a crypto Nazi. And, mm -hmm. you know, Buckley got really it was the only time he lost his temper. He said, you, you call me a crypto Nazi again, I'm going to flatten you. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to take you down and I can see it because it's just it's just it's factually incorrect. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a slur intended to slur. So, Ron, another way that I think we can we can look at this and, and again, uh, thanks to our listener, John, who who uh, who who dropped the the, uh, the compass on us. But uh, I, I've been an advocate of the this thing called the world's smallest political quiz. In fact, it's on a website called mm -hmm. the Advocates for uh, for self government, and it's one of the things that we'll occasionally use at at uh, libertarian functions to try to understand how libertarian people are. And they take this quiz. It's a 10, 10 question quiz, which I really like. And it, and I'll I'll just quick go through the questions and it does it does it on two degrees so you have to you have to imagine now a two by two but point it put it on its edge because the way that you do it is it is you you now actually see the square that looks like a diamond it's a diamond shreddies thing Ron you know, mm -hmm, with the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the square right, right. <laughs> but 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 the one side is the personal issues where you answer the questions in in the one of three things either agree maybe or disagree um, government should not censor speech the 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 press media or the internet. So the next one is military service should be voluntary, no draft. There should be no laws regarding sex between consenting adults, repeal prohibition, uh, prohibition of adult possession and use of drugs, and government should not target, detain, or deport any undocumented workers. These questions change over time with the advocates. They, they, they've substituted different questions to get a better feel for things. So, but that's, but then they also, those are the personal issues. And then on economic issues, they ask these five questions. Um, taxpayers should not be responsible for student loan debt. Government should not be responsible for providing health insurance. Let the people control their own retirement, privatize social security, replace government welfare with private charity and cut taxes and government spending by 50% or more. That one's been in there since the very beginning. <laughs> That's the the one, and of course, what is what? Uh, it, heck, it hasn't been cut. It's gone up by fifty percent, you know, per decade ever ever since, and, and maybe doubled in the last two years. But I, I I like this because it then plots it out on those two things: the economic freedom and the personal freedom. And if you sit at the top of this. The, the apex of this, that means that you want the most personal freedom and the most economic freedom. And I really like thinking of things that way in terms of both an economic component and the individualistic component, and that both of those things together are what yield, at least for me, true freedom. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, we should judge these political and economic systems by who they empower, mm -hmm. the, state, the state or the individual, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, this kind of reminds me, I know we're up against break here, but it kind of reminds me of uh, Coolidge's um, speech that he gave as commemorative speech to the Declaration of Independence sometime in the 20s. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. where, where he said, look, he, he said, these are the ends, inalienable rights, right? Pursuit of happiness and um, right to right liberty uh, and all of that, property, liberty. Uh, he said, where do you go from here? If you don't agree with this, 
where is there left to go? There's nowhere to go but down, mm -hmm. you know, to regress back right. to so feudalism, serfdom or whatever. So, yeah, that is the ultimate standard. And that's why this, I mean, I, you know, just poking around, if you Google um, the political spectrum and, and you look at some of the images, you'll see things like, you know, on the right side, you'll see conservatism and then libertarianism and then fascism. So I guess, Ed, you're closer to a fascist than I am. I mean, that's <laughs> not really that's it, crazy. Fundamentally crazy. Well, because it's a complete misunderstanding, right? That, that just this belief that fascism is free market based at all. And it, 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 it's not even close. I mean, we've demonstrated that in the show. We've picked it apart. There's no way that anybody after listening to this show can come away with the conclusion that free market capitalism and fascism are even remotely related to each other. Yeah, totally agree. QED, QED. Wow. <laughs> this has just been flying by. Folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We will have show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com linking to some of the articles that and the books that Ed and I have been discussing today. And now we want to hear from our sponsor and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today please for the love of god make it stop you are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and I mentioned our Patreon channel on the way back and forgot to mention, Ron, that that Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Need one? Need a mind? Get one at 90minds.com. Group of uh, of Sage partners get gathered together and they do mostly stuff on Sage 100. So if you're interested in talking to them, highly recommend that you go to 90minds.com, see what they have to offer over there. Ron, take us home. What, what, what do you, what's the, the latest thinking on this now? Where do we, where do we need to go? Well, I, you know, this thing with Victor Orban and Hungary, uh, you know, is, is, is kind of interesting. I get, you know, Tucker Carlson, he's got the number one cable show, right? I mean, so he's got this huge audience and whatever he does, um, 
is going to get significant press. And this one's been getting press. So even, even NPR did a whole show on, you know, Tucker doing his show from over there. And he has sit down interview with this Victor Orban guy and from Hungary. And, and, um, I guess he's, he's being kind of showcased as a conservative, um, role model because he doesn't put up with the wokeness, you know, he Mm -hmm. pushes back on all these cultural issues. Um, you know, I don't know much about Hungary's history, except that they were, you know, they had, they had issues with the communists, obviously. Um, but I just think this is crazy, Ed. I, this is a landlocked country. I think it's around the size of Michigan with a population the size of Oregon. And to point to any country like that and say, oh, well, this these ideas can work in the United States, a multi-pluralistic, you know, huge <laughs> 330 million people, I just think is nuts. This is such a waste of time. Um, and, and I love what Jonah said about this, and I, and I can't remember where he said this, but, you know, he, qu- he always likes to quote that Lincoln Steffens reporter who went over mm-hmm. who visited the Soviet Union and came back and wrote, I have been over into the future and it works. And what Jonah said with respect to Tucker going over to uh, Hungary says, you know, I have been over into the past and it works. <laughs> so you know, what are we learning from this? What the, so what? This is such a colossal waste of time, but it's just getting a ton of press and a ton of coverage. And I, I just completely think it's stupid. I, I don't know what well, else to say to it. Is is this just the, uh, I don't lose the term loosely here, conservative. What is this? Is this, I don't have to say conservative. Is this Tucker Carlson's response to Bernie Sanders always talking about Denmark and Sweden? Is that is that what this is about? It, 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 I mean, it could be. It's kind of looking around the world, you know, going, well, where's our Cuba? You know, where's our where's our utopia? And and so there may be some of that there. Um, but it's also just being uh, to, to see somebody effectively pushing back on on the woke culture, you know, like some oh. of the stuff we talk about, you know, like the ESG stuff. I mean, this guy would have he would, you know, he would have all sorts of problems with that. Wouldn't let it happen. But um, I, I don't know. The guy's got a mixed record in my mind, too. He sucked up to China. So I, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I, I can't understand why uh, some people are holding him out as a role model and that there's something to learn from America. I'm not saying that we can't learn from other countries. We can, but we have to mm-hmm. understand that we have a pretty unique system here that puts I was going to say, liberty. like, like what, it, can't you just do this? Uh, it's called federalism. Couldn't we just do this on the, yeah. on a, on the at the federalist level? Yeah. You know, start a free state project equivalent, you know, start an Orban state, you know, do this in Providence or something and test it there and tell, you know, let us see how it works. But until then, shut the hell up. I don't, I don't care. I don't think we need to care about mm-hmm. this guy in Hungary. I just don't think there's anything there. So tying it to the show earlier, has, did, did you learn anything about what are, what are these guys' economic policies? Is he laissez-faire? Is, is he state-run? Is he interf- interfering with the economy? I, I don't know. I, 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 don't okay. think, I don't think Hungary is a great example of a, an economic colossus. <laughs> so I don't, you know, in terms of innovation, creative uh, destruction, dynamism, uh, you know, I'm not sure where they rank in terms of I'm not I, I, I should have looked them up on the like the Freedom Index. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of the uh, other rankings uh, from some of these think tanks, I think that would kind of give you an idea. But I just I, I think it's a cultural issue. I think some conservatives um, 
feel like they're losing the cultural war, right? Just like the left feels like it's losing the economic war, right? Mm -hmm. Both sides feel they're losing, which probably tells you something about how they overestimate, you know, mm -hmm. each other. Um, but, but I just think it's groping around for somebody pushing back on the cultural issues that, mm -hmm. that, uh, we, that, that many conservatives think that we've lost. So now I'm going to take it down to the, 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 the micro level run, because what, what it is, it was macroeconomics is microeconomics done poorly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Anthony, Anthony Davey said that. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. So what what is what we're talking about mean for for smaller businesses? What what and and I'll give you my opinion just out of the gate, and that is that w small business people, entrepreneurs, the the folks that you and I serve, why we talk about this stuff on a show that's real that is has you know fifty sixty percent listenership among accountants is we're hoping that some of you will take some of these ideas and become better defenders of some of these ideas in conversations that you have with one another, because maybe uh, this is part of the cultural war th thing, Ron, but I think we're losing. <laughs> I think, I think we're, I think we're, 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 lo we're losing the conversation about creativity and innovation and, and, and un not unfettered capitalism because who's fettering it anyway, but, but, uh, but it permissionless innovation really is, is the, the my, one of my bi biggest concerns are we going to be able to have those ideas that are are able to be tried before somebody puts the kibosh on it at either a state, local, or federal level? And that's what scares me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I would just add to that. I mean, you and I talk a lot about, you know, the world is not zero sum. And I think mm -hmm. our lizard brain tells us that it's zero sum. If you get the berries first, I'm not going to have any, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not the way free markets work. Both sides make a profit. It's all about win-win. And it's a reciprocal game. Uh, I loved Anthony's point about why we pay the babysitter. It's not for the babysitting she just gave or provided. It's for the next time we call her, she'll answer the phone. We know mm -hmm. we're going to have this reciprocity. And uh, I, I just think it's... it's um, it's very difficult to be in a business, and since I just read a book on profit, this is heavily in my mind, but uh, to, and, and, feel, and feel honorable about what you're doing if you turn a profit. This is why I think uh, Gilder's definition of profit is so beautiful. It's an index of your altruism, right? How well you're serving others. It's other directed. The other thing that I loved about what Anthony said was, he said that uh, even an artist is inward directed. You know, this is how I view the landscape. This is how I feel. This is how I want. When you look at this, this is, you know, the images or the feelings I want to conjure up in you, which is fine. I'm not bashing artists. But like he said, entrepreneur is outward focused. It's all about you. How can I solve your problems? How I can make your life easier? How can I help you pursue your dreams? And that's something that we should feel good about. We're out there serving one another. I mean, Michael Novak, Lapp, and Gilder, they all talk about this and write about it, Sirico. Um, but that's, that's the message that I want to continuously portray. And that's why I think it's important to keep these uh, topics alive and talk about the history. Absolutely agreed, Ron. Well, look at this. We're up against the end of our show. And I just wanted to mention that next week we have uh, James Harrigan, who is the partner of Anthony Davies on his show, Money and... Uh, 
Words and Numbers. I'm sorry, I was going to say Money and Numbers. It's Words and Numbers. Great podcast, as well as their book. It's The name is escaping me now, but we'll both are going to read that before we... In one week to read it. It's co Cooperation and Coercion. Co-op, Cooperation and Coercion. Yep, so we're looking forward to having James on the show next week. So that's what's coming up for you, folks. I'll see you in 167 hours, Ed. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information and upcoming show topics. Also, you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. <laughs>